morning once again, brothers and sisters. I hope you're all doing well. And I hope in this time of all this activity, we don't forget that Jesus is the reason for the season. Amen? So much of the world gets distracted. You see these little Christmas things becoming Xmas, right? Uh, departing away from the real reason why we remember this, this time when... Uh, the king of the world came back, and we've been over the course of the last um, you know, uh, quarter or so studying what it meant to build the church, and we looked at Nehemiah, and the building of Jerusalem is a picture of building the church, uh, Pastor John and, and um, Emmanuel, and then uh, uh, Keith and myself talked about that, and now we are in the next, these couple of weeks talking about Jesus came. And we're going to have different aspects of the, uh, the way in which Jesus came and what he came to, to do. Last uh, week, Pastor John talked about Jesus coming as a king. And uh, what I'm going to talk about today is Jesus came to make the impossible possible. Amen. Jesus came to make the impossible possible. And so much about what we see in the story of the birth of Jesus, we'll walk through a few of those things, are impossible events that make them become possible. So much of what we see in the miracles that Jesus performed in the three and a half years uh, that he ministered. He grew up in Nazareth for 30 years and then ministered for three and a half years. And there's 37 odd miracles that he did. Every one of them was impossible becoming possible. Whether it's changing the water into wine, healing so many different people, feeding the 5,000, raising Lazarus from the dead. But if you look at all of those miracles, the amazing aspect of it was many of those people who watched those miracles, maybe even some of them who were healed from those miracles, maybe some of them who were also fed because of those miracles, turned against him and crucified him. The amazing thing, Lazarus was raised from the dead. I might ask you, what's more impossible, to raise Lazarus from the dead? or the change of heart of a person to be eternally turned towards God. You might say, well, raising somebody from the dead absolutely is, is the more impossible thing. Well, Lazarus eventually died. Well, you know that. He's not still alive. But changing the heart of man and woman towards God is the more impossible thing, because that's eternal. And as we think about even the events that have happened this past week, the sad events in San Bernardino, 14 people killed, several others wounded. In my home country in India, there were floods this, uh, after 100 years, you know, Chennai is this little town uh, to the east of where I grew up, uh, Bangalore. For 100 years, you know, it never rained as heavy as it did. And all of a sudden it rained. Uh, the drainage system in the city isn't as good. Um, and hundreds, maybe even thousands of people lost their lives. And these are all, you know, the week before that was Paris. And you read a lot about these signs in Matthew 25. Um, these are sort of, Jesus talks about it, these are pangs of a woman in labor. Signs of the end times. And when I see these things happen, you know, we all ask the Lord, why do these things happen? Um, and the only thing I can pray is the last verse in the Bible, which is, come Lord Jesus soon. Because the problems of the world will probably get worse. We absolutely pray for peace. We're thankful for peace in this country. 
We live in the Silicon Valley, and for the most part, we're not persecuted. Even if we're persecuted a little bit at work or at school, well, these are mosquito bites compared to what our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world have to go through. There may come a time, and I believe there will come a time, when we will be persecuted more before the end time, before Jesus comes back. But these are all signs that the, the times are, are, are you know, coming to an end. And at this time, the most important thing we can pray for, for, for ourselves, for our families, for our church, is that we partake of that eternal life. This is eternity. This is eternal life that you know Jesus. Knowing Jesus means more than just knowing that he came to save us from our sins, came onto this earth over 2,000 years ago. We think about all that happened. But he can make the impossible possible in every one of your lives. And that's what I want to talk about. And there are things that we all struggle with, whether it's our sinful nature, whether it's our circumstances, it might be in our family or it might be in a church. And the most important thing I want you to all leave with today is knowing how you can enter into that faith that can make the impossible possible. You know, there's only two people okay, for whom it says in the scriptures, nothing was impossible. One, we know, that's God, right? It says in Mark 10, verse 27, looking at them, Jesus said, with people it is impossible. But not with God, for all things are possible with God. That's, everybody knows that. And that's what we need to enter, have people enter into that knowledge with God, all things are possible. But the second person for whom everything is possible is the person who has faith in God. We obviously know that God, with God, all things is possible. But the person who has faith in God, it says in Mark 9 verse 23, the chapter earlier, Mark 9 verse 23, and Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Do we really believe that? All things are possible to him and her who believes. So there's two great truths that we can understand as we think about, and we must confess because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth confesses. So I'm going to do something now with half the room here. Okay? On this half the room, I want you to recite with me John 15, verse 5, where it says, Without Christ, I can do nothing. Okay? And I want you to use your, I don't know, big Oakland Coliseum warrior's voice. The 49ers aren't doing well this, this time. So imagine you're in Oakland Coliseum and you're cheering for Steph Curry or whoever have you. Okay, in this half of the room, I want you to recite the other verse. Philippians 4.13, with Christ I can do all things. So this is the balance. Without Christ, okay, right in the middle of the room, you're going to recite, without Christ I can do nothing. All right, loud and clear. Without Christ, Christ I can do nothing. Once again, that's not, I can't hear you. Without Christ, I can do nothing. Great, okay, fantastic. And this half the room. With Christ, I can do all things. With Christ... I can do all, God. Come on, this is Oakland Coliseum, guys. You can go louder. With Christ, I can do all things. Okay, we're going to do that together. Without Christ, I can do nothing. With Christ, I can do all things. Without Christ, I can do nothing. With Christ, I can do all things. Once again, without Christ, I can do nothing. 
With Christ, I can do anything. Amen. Give yourselves a hand. I hope that you will memorize those scriptures as you go through the valleys of your life and much of what we hear today. Those are the two most important foundational stones. Without Christ, I can do nothing. Nothing at all. Through human strength, we will fail. We will fail in trying to overcome sin. We will fail in our family life. We will fail in this church. With Christ, we can do all things. Do we really believe that? All things. That's a superlative. There's so many parts of the Bible which talk about superlatives. Superlative means everything. All things. And remember that. It's important that we teach our children that. Without Christ, you can do nothing. Whether it's your homework, whether it's your school, whether it's conflict at home. With, with Christ, I can do all things. Your, your, your uh, problems at school become like grasshoppers. Well, without Christ, I can do nothing in my family life, in my married life. There's going to be things that create all the types of tensions. Without Christ, I can do nothing. With Christ, I can do all things. The Lord brings perfect unity. And that's what we need to be rooted and grounded in. That in the fundamental aspects of our life, we have a deep dependency on Christ. And when we think about the aspects of the story in Matthew 2 and Luke chapter 2 of the coming of Jesus. There's so many things uh, that are, you know, impossible that happen. It's important you, you, you um, think about this. Um, here is Jesus about to be born. Of course we know, born to a virgin. Impossible. Made possible. Lots of, um, you know, Old Testament scripture said he had to be born in Jerusalem. Okay? Where does Joseph live? You all read the Christmas script, the passage. Where does he live? Lives in Nazareth. And if you know Nazareth is in northern Israel near Galilee, and Jerusalem is further south. God allows, orchestrates amazing things to happen. All of a sudden, Caesar says, I'm going to do a census. Okay? He didn't have to do it, just did it right around that time. And Joseph is forced with Mary to go to Jerusalem so that the scripture could be fulfilled and he could be born there. One would think, it's the king, of the king of Israel, king of the Jews. He's supposed to be born someplace else. He's going to be born right in the palace. No place to be born except, as we know, in the back of an inn, in a manger. So many things. Um, the way in which the shepherds, the poorest of the earth, got to meet him first. And then think about these wise men. Okay, small little factoid. Many of you think that there were three wise men. If you read the scripture carefully, it doesn't say the number three. Okay? It's a supposition because there were three gifts given gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So tradition arose that there must have been three. It just says wise men. There could have been two, could have been four, there could have been three. When we get to heaven, we'll find out. But here were these wise men who came far from the east. Okay? Tradition tells us maybe it took them months, maybe a couple, maybe a year to get from as far as maybe uh, Iran or maybe even as far as India. We don't know where the east was that they came from. But when they came and they followed the star, landed, the star put them right at the day, right at the point where Jesus was born. So many aspects of the birth of Jesus was the impossible becoming possible. So that scripture could be fulfilled. And when you read Matthew chapter 2 and Luke chapter 2 to your children, I hope you'll notice many of those things that happened, which are just so amazing. And then we all know the story of Jesus as he walked through life for 30 years. If you would think, here was this 
amazing man of God. You know, he's got to get trained and so on. And we'll probably see him visible in his 20s. For 30 years, he was, did one thing, submit to his parents, was a hard-working carpenter in Nazareth. And for the last three and a half years, if you were to say you had, you know, a hundred years to spend, you know, and, and getting the gospel out, would you plan just the last 10% of your life to have a public ministry? And in those last three and a half years, Jesus spoke all the words that you read in your Bible that are read that had a tremendous impact. Again, very different from the way we would think about it. Our ways are from God's ways as heaven is from the earth. So don't forget these two important principles as you read through the scriptures. And as I think about what the world needs today, so much of what we gravitate through in our daily circumstances, it might feel that it's impossible. It's impossible when we look at it from the human eyes. But as we look at it from the lens of God, everything becomes possible. The sins of our flesh, the things that might feel like the giants of Philistine. The 12 spies come in, we heard this a couple of weeks ago, and they think that these are giants. Impossible to conquer them. But the two with faith, Joseph and Caleb, looked at those giants, and what do they call them? Grasshoppers. So as we look at the giants that we might be battling with, we look at it through the lens of God, through the lens um, that a spiritual lens, we say, Lord, you're going to basically give us the victory in an amazing, amazing way. One of the things that's, that's, you know, I do after um, every time I've spoken here is I go back and I watch the video to ask the Lord in humility what I could have done better, and I also send a, a copy of it to my dad. He's my friendly critique, uh, and uh, uh, the last time we talked about uh, you know, the seven ways in which the, the church in Jerusalem is different from Babylon. I asked my dad, you know, what could I have done better? And he said, well, you know, maybe seven is too many. Two or three would be good. So that's what I'm going to do today. Two or three. Uh, I'm going to talk about three things that we can apply, and I want to make this as practical to every one of you. Um, as you think about the areas that might, you might look in your life and say, this is impossible. Because even during this time of happiness and giving, there are things that every one of you might be dealing with. Whether it's a personal issue, whether it's something that's in your circumstance, or something in our church. And that's what I want to talk about. Our, our nature, our sinful nature, and how the Lord can help us handle the impossible, make it possible. Our circumstances, the second area. And third, in the body of Christ, the church. Now listen, the most important thing that God wants to change about us is our sinful nature. And it is impossible to change that because we know that even if you looked at the, seven, the Ten Commandments, you could have been obeying every one of the Ten Commandments and no one knew if you were, you were obeying the Tenth Commandment. The first nine were fairly visible. The Tenth one was, do not covet. Do not covet your neighbor's wife. That was a matter of the, of the mind. And there were so many in the Old Testament who visibly uh, obeyed the first nine commandments, including David. But there came a point in time where David slipped, coveted his neighbor's wife, fell in adultery. The promise of the New Testament is that we can overcome sin. We can completely overcome sin. Sin shall not have dominion over you. Romans 6 verse 14. On the surface of it, you say, that's impossible. 
It's impossible. How can we live that life that's going from pure to pure to pure? That's not something you hear typically at most pulpits. But again, with God, all things are possible. Now listen, on our own, everything that we have is filthy rags. We know that from Isaiah 64 verse 6. And everything we do is dead works. We know that also from Hebrews 6 verse 1. But here is the promise in Hebrews 8.12 that I want every one of you, as we confess our sins, God promises never to remember our sins. And that's the amazing thing that every one of you who has made a confession of faith, if you haven't, we're going to do that at the end of the service, you can give your life to Jesus and you can have the confidence that if you have confessed your sins, you don't, it doesn't have to hang over you like a condemnation. Your sins, God has promised, He will never remember anymore. And we know in Romans 5.1, we are clothed with Christ's righteousness. So this is very important that we start off with that assurance that when we give our life to Jesus, when we've confessed our sins, that's one of the most important things that we can do. If you haven't confessed your sins, if your children have not given your life to Jesus, that's the most important thing. We call it the sinner's prayer. Knowing that our sins will not be remembered anymore, and then we are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. It's a tremendous assurance that we have. But does that change our nature? Does that mean that we're not going to fall again? Um, here's a great verse in Jeremiah 13, verse 23. It says, Can a leopard take away his spots? No, nor can you who are so used to doing evil now suddenly start doing good. In other words, it's sort of, we've talked about this before, this pulpit. It's sort of like the difference between the cat and a pig, right? The cat falls into dirty, yucky, slimy muck. And what is the first thing the cat does? Licks itself clean. The pig jumps into that dirty, slimy muck and enjoys it. And the beautiful aspect of seeking and the nature of Christ is that our natural self is a filthy pig. We're like that, the, the, that, that passage says, the leper that has spots. And on our own, we can never do it. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, God gives us that nature of a cat that says, Lord, I have fallen and I'm going to bounce back. My failure is going to become the bouncing back point to higher levels than ever before. And God takes us from one stage and one stage, victory into victory into victory. We're not yet perfect, but gradually... But if we're a pig, we're enjoying that, and we're enjoying it, and we're enjoying it. And we, of course, think the blood of Jesus Christ will cover all our sins. There could be a tendency to treat the blood of Jesus Christ just like water that flows out of a faucet. It's precious. That's why when we come into communion like we did today, it's very important we take things seriously because that blood of Christ, Jesus Christ was precious. But then we can come into some practical ways in which we can overcome sin. And there's promises in the Bible that we can hold on to. 1 John 2, we all know this. Uh, verse 1, My little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. That's a tremendous promise. On the surface of it, it says that's impossible. Lord, I feel like I'm battling a particular area. Whether it's lust of the eyes, gossip, anger, whatever it is. I don't seem to be able to see the ways by which I can get victory. You hold on to this promise and the Lord says, it will be true. 
Without Christ, nothing is, is possible. With Christ, all things are possible. Jude 1 verse 24. Only Christ can keep you from falling. Romans 8 13. Through the Spirit, we put to death the deeds of the body and live. Every one of these scriptures, there are scripture after scripture that you can use as your ballast, as your strength, as you face this. So, let's be practical now, okay? Us men, what do we typically wrestle with? The lust of the eyes. It's probably the most biggest battle that comes and possesses men from their 20s all the way to 30s, 40s. And there are men who are struggling with this almost all the way to their die. Addicted to pornography. Can we say that that is a giant that can become a grasshopper? Absolutely, through the, through, the, through the power of the Holy Spirit. So what do we do, men, when we're dealing with that lustful thought that comes in during the day or the week at work or that temptation to go to a particular website? One word that Paul encouraged Timothy for all of us. Flee. What do we say? Flee. Run away. Run away from it. Or, you know, take a cold shower or something. It gets you out of the mode of letting that thought become sin. And if you fall, the Lord can take you to higher by confessing and saying, Lord, I do not want this to be a giant that holds me as its captive. One of the verses that my wife has put on our, in our uh, bedroom that's a tremendous uh, blessing to me every morning. It's right in our, in our bathroom on the, on the mirror. She wrote it out there is, Sin shall not have dominion over us. Romans 6 verse 14. Hold that as your promise, brother. Maybe it's something else. Again, you know, um, sisters, maybe you're getting together and the temptation is to gossip. Not to say brothers don't gossip. We have, those, we have those challenges too. But you feel the voice of the Holy Spirit. A conscience coming clear to you saying, you know what, I was going to go there, but I'm not going to go there. Because I'm not going to say something about that person if he or she is not actually here. And it's really important when you hear that voice of the conscience. 1 Timothy 1.5 it says, The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience. And then later on in 1 Timothy 1 verse 19, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck regarding their faith. So the conscience is like this sort of diamond inside you that's sharp initially. When we're converted and we're fresh on fire for the Lord, it's probably the sharpest. And then over time, because we neglect it, we overlook it, it starts to get dull. Sort of like a knife that's lost its sharpness. It's important that as we um, look at the, 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 our conscience, we preserve its sharpness so that we can stay pure. Anger. This is another, another area that many of us... I'm just using examples right out of Matthew 5 that, that Jesus said were impossible or the quickest path, actually, in Matthew 5, to go to hell. Lust of the eyes, anger... Um, and you see so much of it, irritability that comes in, uh, starts as a child. I, we're in this season of our kids growing up where my twin boys are five-year-olds and my daughter is nine. And, you know, for those of you who have two or three kids, 
uh, especially twins. Everything is a rivalry and a competition and an argument. Sit in the back of the car. Sometimes my wife and I are saying, man, this is impossible. You know, will they ever stop fighting? And then I, you know, feel the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, well, guess whose kids they are? They're a chip off the old block. I call my mom and say, how did you deal with it? She's like, man, you, you should have seen you and your brothers fighting all the time as teenagers. And I say, Lord, give me grace because this is an opportunity to invest in my two boys, my girl, and teach them. Teach them what it means to be peacemakers. Teach them what it is to love one another. I tell you, fortunately, today, us four brothers, we don't fight anymore. It's taken a few decades to get there. But through the teenage years, uh, it was tough. I think my, my mom is going to be a saint in heaven uh, when I get there to, to see how much she invested. So whatever the struggle is, there's been a number of different emails that I've wanted to write at the end of, you know, maybe at work. Today, the modern way of lashing out to somebody is not necessarily voice. It could be email. It's easier to do it. Or sometimes it's today, unfortunately, Facebook or other social media. I can tell you the number of different times where I've, you know, drafted an email in the emotions of my heart, and then I hear the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, ah, don't send it. Don't send it. Just, you know, okay, you wrote it, put it in your draft folder, and go to bed. Go to sleep. And I wake up the next morning, and, uh, you know, I delete it. And there are other ones which I've unfortunately sent. And I say, you know what? I've got to go back and apologize. So whatever the way in which angers manifest, disagreements, God creates, God wants to create unity among us. And it's so hard. Think about this. We come into a, a church service. We have a great church service. And we're talking about worshiping God. And the easiest thing, the first thing we go out, a number of times we go out, and the first thing we get into our car Maybe there's a disagreement with our wife. And I think, man, we were just in a church service. The voice of the Holy Spirit says, you know what? Give up your, give up your will. Die to yourself. So whatever the way in which your, your conscience is pricked, uh, brother or sister, look at those giants in your life and say, in the name of Jesus, they are grasshoppers. Can we do that? In our personal lives, and I can tell you, everything that you feel in your life in the context of your sinful nature, that's impossible. The Lord will give you grace to make possible. Don't go into 2016 with all of the giants that you battled for 2015. Lay them down um, at the cross of Jesus and say, Lord, I need your help to battle these giants, and I know that you're going to make them possible. Yes, we're not doing a watch night service, but if it helps you do this on December 31st, get a few people in your home and do a watch night service in your home. And make your resolutions. Most often people make resolutions to lose weight, whatever. It's usually forgotten in January 2nd or 3rd. They go to the gym for one day and then, you know, that's usually my tradition on the losing weight. But this can become a real aspect of your commitment. If you say before the Lord, Lord, I have giants in my life that I want to slay in 2016. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to take your word seriously. Where it's not just the forgiveness of sin, it's the overcoming of sin. Those giants are going to become grasshoppers in my life through the power of the Holy Spirit. Find another brother or sister that you can fellowship with, that you can pray with, that you can be accountable with. Okay, the second area that Jesus came to make 
the impossible possible is related to our circumstances. This is all the things that surround us. And we all know this verse very well in Romans 8, verse 28. For we know that God causes all things to work together for good. It's not for anybody, though. The rest of the verse says, for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. And I can't tell you the number of different times where I have sensed, Lord, you've allowed a particular circumstance to happen. Most often, it's to humble me. Okay? Uh, when it happens where there's a fire um, or a trial in our life. Uh, but often it is to, to wake us up and say, Lord, we are so thankful that we live surrounded by your mercy and grace. About 20 years ago, 1995, I was in my young 20s, um, um, a single man living in Sunnyvale with a couple of other roommates. I was driving back home uh, and, you know, probably uh, half a mile from my home on the back roads in, in the Sunnyvale area. And I fell asleep at the wheel for just, you know, probably half a minute, maybe. And the next thing I know, my car had hit a telephone pole um, and I regained consciousness in the emergency room of the hospital. And um, what happened between my accident and the actual uh, uh, room, I found out later. And the next day, of course, I, was, I hadn't broken any ribs. I had fractured my leg. I went back and looked at the condition of my car. And this was the days before airbags. Okay? And uh, it was completely totaled. Completely totaled. And I really believe that it was total right around the, the place of a passenger seat that was empty. It was just me in the car. Uh, and I felt the Lord had put a sort of a, a fence around the area that was going to be affected and protected me so that I could live and say, this is not your time, son, but it's a wake-up call for how much you need to be thankful for your life. Uh, we have angels, brothers and sisters, that are protecting us. I came back with a fresh sense of how close I had stared death in the eye in my young 20s. And every one of us, whether you've gone through a situation like that, um, 10 years later, I went through a situation, it wasn't life and death, where I was fired from my job, again, pretty shaken up. But every one of these circumstances, which are trials of fires, we've had situations happen here in our body recently. Sister Diane, where is she? She had an accident recently. And we're just so grateful the Lord protected you. Can we give the Lord a hand for the way in which you protected? I remember getting uh, a, text, a text message from Brother Rocky and an email. And um, you should have seen the condition of her car. Uh, and the Lord protected her. So we're grateful for everything the Lord has done to protect us uh, in our body. The circumstances we're through. If it's a fire... Just treat this as a situation where the Lord is refining you through fire because He wants to take iron, the iron that sits around gold. That's what the fire is, taking the iron off and purifying it, just like it says in Malachi 3 and Revelation 3. Uh, gold has to be purified going through fire. Uh, and we all know the, the, the passage in James chapter, uh, James chapter 2, considered all joy when you go through various different trials because, you know the rest of the verse, the testing of our faith produces endurance. So every one of our circumstances where we look at it and say, Lord, this is impossible. Look, as you, you open up your hearts and your ears to those around our body, there are many here who are struggling with something financial. Maybe it's a relationship, a broken marriage, 
children estranged from their parents, parents estranged from their children, uh, a job situation. As we enter into 2016, we have plenty to be thankful for in 2015. But my prayer is that every one of you will hold true to this and say, Lord, you will take me through this trial because you're purifying uh, us as gold. And then finally, Jesus came to make the impossible possible in our church. And that's really, really important. We talked about our own sinful flesh and how, can God, how God can give us victory over sin, how we keep a clear conscience, how the Lord can make the impossible possible in our circumstances. And I absolutely believe the same thing applies to the body of Christ. When you look at things today, what are the most, the, the most difficult things it's, you know, in, in a church? Uh, it starts with Matthew chapter 8, verse 9, 18, verse 20. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, or whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. And if two of you agree about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for you by my Father in heaven. Where two or three are gathered together, I am there in their midst. The most difficult thing, in a, in a, often in a home, but more often in a church, is unity. It's so hard today. And one of the things that we've been praying through, certainly the last five or six years, but the last two years in particular, but the Lord would exemplify unity. First off, there has to be unity at the top, the elders and pastors. I believe the Lord has done such an immense work uh, to bring humility-based unity uh, among the elders and pastors like never before. I've been an elder the last two years, and the selflessness and the, anything that might be uh, personality or egotism is one where we've submitted completely to the Lord. But that's our desire also for this body, is that the Lord would preserve us. That's the hardest thing that happens. Why do splits happen? It's because often unity is not preserved in the peace of God. So we want to seek that and pursue that. Pursue that in your home, brothers and sisters, between your husband and wife. Unity is the most important thing. And when you have unity, it says here in Matthew 18, anything that you bind on earth will be bound. You have a power that's amazing when you have two or three that are united. And then the Lord can do amazing things. He can bring many, many more. We've talked about abundant life becoming a magnet that can attract. But imagine if you come in, and you, you, you come in here and you sense there's lots of different agendas and politics and things of that sign and divisiveness. I believe 2016, the best years are ahead of us. But it has to start, brothers and sisters, with this that's fundamentally been a rooting and grounding. And I believe, as I've gotten to talk to many of you, the Lord is doing a work in the, in the home groups. When I hear the testimonies of what's happening in growth groups, Brother Eric was telling us about the amazing way that his growth group has become a fire to not just himself, uh, but to his family and to the many that are meeting there. I can tell you that's been my own testimony for the last 10 years that we've had a growth group in our home. It's been not just the saving grace for our marriage, it's been the saving grace for our family, for our children, uh, and for the, for the few 10 to 15 that meet in our growth group. And I'd encourage every one of you, the walk of, uh, in this Christian walk is not meant to be alone. Find another brother and sister. Hopefully if you're married, it's your husband or wife. But find another brother and sister that you can walk along. And if you're serving in a ministry, as you give, you will find the Lord takes care of you. 
The second thing that's often hard, that's impossible often, is Galatians 1.10 in a church. I'm going to paraphrase that. Do you think I speak this strongly in order to manipulate crowds or seek favor with, with, with God or to get popular applause? If my goal was popularity, I'm going to paraphrase this word here, it is impossible to be a servant of Christ. Most often, churches are built with the intent to please people, to seek popularity. And this is again, just like heaven is from earth, my ways are from your ways. God's building a new body of Christ where popularity is not the center of gravity. The center of gravity is pleasing God. Are we going to be that church, brothers and sisters? We're going to look to please God. And it means that we may be unpopular. Listen, when, you know, we've talked about this many different times about John chapter 6. There were 15,000 people, maybe, you know, as many as that, that came to eat of the bread um, and drink of, uh, eat of the bread and, and the fish. Um, and at the end of that story, 5,000 plus, uh, plus uh, wives and children, mothers and children. At the end of it, there were just 11 or 12 that stayed. So we want to be a, a body of Christ that pursues unity, a body of Christ that seeks to please God, and then a body of Christ uh, in 1 Corinthians 2, 1, the, the final uh, passage I want to share with you, that seeks completely the radiance of Jesus. When I came to you, brothers, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1, I did not come with superiority of speech or wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet we do speak wisdom among these men who are mature, a wisdom not of this age, nor of the rules of this power, will pass me, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. So everything we do, brothers and sisters, here at this pulpit or abundant life in our ministries needs to be not about one single person. Imagine, here's the gifted person, Paul, the person who wrote most of the epistles, one of the best brains, probably one of the most compelling speakers you could ever want to hear, saying, listen, it's not about me, it's about Christ. And that's what we want to be focused on. We want to be a body of believers that's focusing not on a single person, on a personality, but on Christ, so the wisdom of heaven is what's apparent uh, here in our body. Amen? Amen? Now, you look at any of these things that we talked about, brothers and sisters, on the surface of it, this is not a popular message, right? Because it's, it's, you look at it and say, well, it's impossible. You're going to end up with a small congregation. You're going to end up with folks. But I will tell you, in this last days, before Jesus comes, and I really believe we are in those last days. You just have to look at the signs of the times. Just like uh, Brother Keith spoke at the, almost the first message we heard this year. God is creating a remnant that's a bride of Christ. There's only one bride of Christ. God, you know, Jesus seeks one bride. And in that, the bride is called to be pure. And my prayer for abundant life, as we reflect on, on all the good the Lord has done for us in 2015, and as we think about what the Lord has in store for us in 2016, is that we will look at everything that we see as impossible, and we say, Lord, it is going to be possible through the Word of God, 
if we stay true to the principles of the Word of God. We're not going to compromise. And the Lord will bring the right people into our midst. We're going to be a, a magnet in the Mountain View area. And many, many more are going to hear this message and be gripped by it. Before we close, I want to read the words of this song as uh, the worship team comes up. There's a beautiful song. Uh, we're not going to sing it, but I thought it would be uh, good for us to... I think I have it also uh, up on the screen. Uh, it's the words of a song by Charles Wesley. And all of you know it, Charles Wesley has written some of the most amazing songs um, that we all sing. It's called, All Things Are Possible. I'm going to re just read these and you can uh, reflect on them as you see them up on the screen. All things are possible to him that can in Jesus' name believe. Lord, I no more thy name blaspheme. Thy truth I lovingly receive. I can, I do, believe in thee. All things are possible to me. Verse 2. T'was most impossible of all that here sin's reign and me should cease. Yet shall it be, I know it shall, Jesus, I trust thy faithfulness. If nothing is too hard for thee, all things are possible for me. Verse 3. Though earth and hell the world gainsay, the word of God shall never fail. The Lord can break sin's iron sway to certain, though impossible. The thing impossible shall be. All things are possible to me. Verse 4. All things are possible to God. To Christ, the power of God and man. To me, when I am all renewed in Christ and fully formed again. And from the reign of sin set free, all things are possible to me. All things, verse 5, the final verse. All things are possible to God. To Christ, the power of God in me. Now shed thy mighty self abroad. Let me no longer live by thee. Give me this hour in thee to prove the sweet omnipotence of love. Amen. What I'd like to do now, brothers and sisters, the ushers gave, I think, every one of you as you came in an index card. What I'd like you to do is pick up that index card. An index card probably has two sides to it. Take a pen. And I'd like you to reflect just for a few minutes on something on the first side of the index card that the Lord's done for you in 2015 that seemed impossible that seemed absolutely impossible there's so much that we have to be thankful for in my own personal life in our circumstances in our church you think of all the Lord's taken us through the last two years the wonderful men of God that he's brought us through to in connection with like brother Francis Chen or even what happened a few Sundays ago on November 22nd when we had that renewal of fellowship these are all miracles that you know on the surface of it seem impossible but there's much that we can reflect on 2015. There's maybe one thing that you can give thanks and glory to God as you reflect on 2015 for what He's done in your life. And then I want you on the flip side of that card. This is only going to stay with you. We're not going to have anything where you come and drop the cards off. I want you to all reflect on 2016 as you look into the future. 
And there's one area in your life that still feels impossible. It feels like a giant. And the tendency will be as you look at that giant to say, it's impossible. We can't conquer those giants. But I hope the word of God that's spoken to you today will sow that seed of Joshua and Caleb in you, which is those, those giants will be like grasshoppers. You will be able to look at that mountain and say, this mountain will move into the sea with a, with a faith that's like a mustard seed. So take a moment or two, brothers and sisters, and write down on both sides of that index card something that you can be thankful for in 2015. It's really important that we give thanks. There were 10 lepers that were healed, and only one came back to thank God. It's very important that we, the, the calendar year, you know, are good points in time where we can reflect on all that the Lord has done for us in 2015. And then look at the other side of the index card and write down something uh, that you can reflect on that you want to hold God accountable for and say, Lord, I'm going to hold your promises close to me. Let's take a moment uh, to do that. I pray that every one of you, as you did that, even if it didn't come naturally to you, you can reflect on that. Go home and do that this week. Make a commitment before the Lord before the end of the year. Lord, there's no part of my life that I'm not going to surrender to you. And if you haven't given your life to Jesus, as we pray and Pastor Eric comes up in a few minutes, I'd encourage every one of you, if you haven't given your life to Jesus, make sure you do it. There's no guarantee that we may see the end of 2016. The Lord may take us, the Lord may come. We don't know when the return. But set before your heart the fact that you're going to live 2016 with a fresh passion for our Savior. Let's pray.